So today, um, episode 40, is that official happy birthday? Not quite. I'm um, looking forward to the 50th. Uh, did you see episode 39, talking of episodes, with the wonderful Alex Hutchinson, the ever-informed sports journalist um, and bestseller of his book, Endure? Um, he was with us uh, last month. If you haven't heard that yet, then I strongly recommend you download it or watch on YouTube. Um, he was talking all about the limits of human performance. Um, it's an incredible book. I uh, particularly recommend the audible version just because of the fantastic variety of pronunciations of Kipchoge or Kipchoge or Kipchog. Um, however you want to hear the um, person say it. It's not Alex narrating, by the way. It's uh, uh, an American gentleman actor. But it, that's enough of a reason to get it. It's hysterical. But anyway, no, definitely. If you haven't heard it yet, thanks for the feedback of people who have given uh, sent me emails. Um, it, it's the most downloaded episode, which is no surprise, really, because um, Alex is very current. Uh, what with having been at Breaking 2 and he's doing so much on the shoes these days. And yeah, it's a great episode, if I say so myself, and the book is well worth buying. Um, what else have we got? Um, as always, I need to say hello to and thank you to the Brighton Beard Company. Um, the place to go if, like myself and our special guest today, Tom Goon, of our The Hirsute Variety, um, for your beard balms and for your beard oils and your brushes and your beard soaps and everything which will make no sense if you haven't got a beard, but lots of sense if you have got one. Um, yeah, that's the place to go. So www.brightonbeardcompany.co.uk is the place to be. And what else can I tell you? It's been a very busy week. Ah, yes, it's official. Um, we have um, got some dates for the 2020 RCL International Running Conference, the real thing, face-to-face -face contact and shaking hands and hugging it out um, in Brighton in the UK. Um, last year was a great success. All the videos are still on runchatlive.com. Um, we have got 10, um, actually one of them was here last year. I can't announce them yet because I really want to build it up and make it exciting. But um, we've got nine new speakers and one returner, and it's going to be a great event. Um, keep an eye out on Instagram and Facebook and LinkedIn and all that, and I will be announcing the speakers very soon. I'm very excited. It's a very – it was so difficult because last year, basically, I just chose all my heroes, um, except for Tom, who couldn't make it. I could only have 10. But, um, yeah, I chose everyone who was just uh, – shoulders that i've stood on and and worshipped for years and they all came which is great this year it's i've actually thought a bit more about what the public want to hear and i've got some great people coming up so i'm looking forward to that um, i'll announce it next week bit by bit anyway that's all the admin out of the way today dun 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 finally on the show it's taken 40 episodes mainly because i've stopped practicing as much now in Brighton as a therapist, so I haven't got to kind of see it as the competition anymore. Actually, I'm recommending someone in today. I haven't told him about that yet. I can put clients his way. Um, but yeah, it's Mr. Tom Goon, Brighton born and bred, I think. Um, he was from Brighton, we'll find that out later. And um, from the physio rooms um, at Virgin. But apart from changing lives there, he is also the creator and star of the running repair workshops, which are now international. I've seen them happening. I haven't gone, but I've seen them happening in Chicago and all over the place and well-deserved as well. He's a fantastic physio and speaker and workshopper. Um, and on top of that, he's got a one-day special course as well in London, which we're going to talk about him later on with um, some fantastic speakers, including Alex, who was on the show last uh, last month, um, and Claire Minchel and Chris Napier. And uh, who else? Oh, some podiatrist, Ian Griffiths, I think it is. Um, so, yeah. 
that's what we're going to talk about. And also we're going to talk about happy birthday to uh, Tom. It's not actually his birthday, but he's been a physio for, well, let's him say face to face how long he's been a physio for just to make him feel very old. So what I would like you to do is put your hands together in your bedrooms or in why bedrooms, in your lounges, in your homes, wherever you are. And welcome to the screen, uh, Mr. Tom Goon. There we go. Hi, Matt. Thank How's you that for an intro? Thanks for the intro, mate. That's Did I beat you up enough? Very generous. Yeah. Well, I can never really. I'm in a lovely position now because I'm lecturing much more. I only do kind of um, consultations when people contact me on the website. So I haven't got to kind of not mention your name anymore. I can actually say how good you are and I can send people your way. And I've got yeah. someone I need to talk about later on, actually, who I'm going to send you away. Ah, awesome. Um, Always good to help. Well, there we go. It's fantastic. I'm, I have sung your praises. I'm lying. I've often recommended you um, if I couldn't fit them in. Um, and I'm sure we've shared patience anyway, because it's amazing being in Brighton. We know, and we might talk about this later on, runners just run until they find someone who says what they want to hear, don't they? Yeah. Um, and there's so many therapists now in Brighton, um, sports therapists and physios and osteos and chiros. Um, we all tend to see the same person until they, until eventually they settle down with someone. So I was we obviously nice that you you tend to actually run with your patients too. You know, going out and doing training sessions and stuff like. That. I mean, it's so so important. I think if you can do that, you know, show them you're part of the sport. You know, go, it, it's much bigger than just being around in the clinic room, isn't it? So I always thought that was a nice thing that you that you did. You know, get involved in the training and run with people, be part of the community rather than just hidden away in a little room somewhere. You know. Do you still find time to, uh, I know what my answer is, but do you still find time to get out and run with your patients? I try to, yeah, I try to, um, you know, try and get involved in stuff. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's just for striking a balance, isn't it, these days between lots of different commitments. But yeah, um, I, once they're getting up to a good level, I'll often invite them out for a little uh, 10K or something like that. And, uh, you know, so if we can get a group of people together, if they're coming back from injury, it's always always really good, especially if it ends at a cafe somewhere and then um, <laughs> some form of bacon is involved then then it's a win for everyone i think this is yeah this is one of your trademarks isn't it i was trying to find that photo when we have when i have guests on i try and find photos i remember and there was one about and then i shall eat pie or something <laughs> that's I right anywhere yeah Later, I, I shall it. have pie yeah <laughs> um that's when i that was like when i was actually still relatively young and thin and fit and stuff so yeah um I'll, I'll try and dig out the photo for you at some point oh it's classic you were just stand if i remember rightly you were kind of standing there looking up in the corner yeah it, looking into the middle distance thoughtfully <laughs> imagining pie but still on most of the um kind of uh brief sort of profiles on most of your social media and elsewhere i think it's still the covering cheese addict how's that going still still going yeah still still difficult um i've weaned off the hard stuff but yeah it's still it's still a struggle on a day-to-day -day basis oh yeah. lovely right okay so happy kind of physio birthday mm. um how many years has it been i think it's 18 years yeah i think i'm i've come of age from a from a physio point of view i guess yeah yeah, yeah does it, it's a long does it time. feel like 18 or is it kind of yeah um, no, I don't know really. Um, I I don't know. I still find things really exciting and interesting. I think I think I find it more exciting and interesting now than at any stage really. So yeah, it's good. It's good. I think the weird thing is, as you as you, the more you learn, like the less certain things become, which is a bit strange. So you know, it, it doesn't necessarily mean that you're suddenly like uber confident. I think you just you recognise how much there is to know and how little of it any of us do know. You know. And have you reached the age yet where you're kind of cool with not knowing? 
Um, I think so. It makes me want to find out more. Mm. Um, you know, I think I find it interesting how everything goes in in cycles, and you know, as we'll, we're going to talk about, about how some stuff is is suddenly really important, then suddenly dropped, and they, that's kind of happening with load management at the minute. There's there's a move away from load management, which I'm a bit surprised about, but um, you know, so it's, it's interesting. And same with with all the pain science stuff. You know, um, I was a big fan of that, and um, you know, you saw a lot of chronic back pain patients when I was in the NHS. Um, and then now we're getting new reviews showing it doesn't have big effects on pain or disability. And I, you know, I'm wondering where that where that's going to go next. You know, so it's all change. Yeah, probably like me, you follow. Oh, I know you do. You follow a similar crowd, and some of the people we follow, basically, it seems they like to challenge anything once it starts getting a bit popular. And often it's what they started trying to make popular. But once it reaches that popular level, it's like, well, hold on. Let's not, everyone seems to be saying this now, let's not go over the top and swing too far the other way, yeah. which is kind of a healthy thing sometimes, but I've quite liked watching in the shadows you challenging some of the people who are kind of dismissing everything and kind of saying, well, you can't, you, you do you do that consciously or? Um, <laughs> yeah, I think, I don't know. I think um, I always try and sort of strive a little bit for, for a bit of balance and recognizing that everything has got its pros and cons. And there's also the real world kind of real clinic that we need to manage. And that's not necessarily the same as something that's reproduced in a, in a research paper, you know? Um, and I think when people are kind of pulling everything apart, they almost seem to enjoy that process of, of ripping everything apart. And I think, well, how do you help that person in front of you that's really desperate for your help? if you're kind of dismissing every option you've got. So I kind of want to lean the other way and sort of see that where things can have a role and perhaps be a little bit more more open to stuff. Uh, but, but also just recognizing human nature. Human nature is people don't really follow advice, oddly enough. Like we know this, runners are a great example of this. We, we can advise them around training, but a lot of people don't necessarily follow advice and they don't necessarily do their exercises. And there's lots of things about being a human. We're not very logical um so if we assume that people will behave logically and follow our advice we're we're going to get it wrong a lot of the time so i think we need to be a little bit more open to to other things and other ways of getting that buy-in and working together with that patient a little bit more um and maybe a little bit less like no this doesn't work we can't use it at all you know no i think you're perfectly right and and i've noticed as well there is now a bit of a a bandwagon that a lot of people are jumping on where they're just being quite just slagging off therapists who come up with these practices and it's and it's bad because i think it it scares people from talking doesn't it mm. um especially i'm not on twitter so much now but twitter there's the problem where you just can't give that much information out so it's impossible to have a proper conversation yeah. even on facebook now as people are hang, hanging out in forums and just kind of trying to pull down um anybody who says oh i do this or i do that when it doesn't it's not really constructive is it no, no. And I think it's a shame because sometimes it stops people having what would be some really good conversations because you can't, you know, on Twitter, sometimes it's harder to get a tweet out than it is to get something through peer review in a journal, you know, that, and that might sound like an exaggeration, but, but genuinely, you know, I've, I, I've seen things go through peer review that I know would not get out on Twitter without being leapt on. And that's a shame really, because we should be able to discuss ideas and maybe you know talk a little bit more openly um and i think we need to be maybe a little bit more realistic don't we like one of the things that gets pounded a lot is is massage for example 
Um, so something like massage will be dismissed as low quality and something like pain science based education would be considered high quality. But if you absolutely if you compare the evidence for both of them, there isn't that big a gulf, really, like especially the recent reviews saying like pain science based education isn't that effective for reducing pain or, or disability. So then it's you know, we can't really suggest one is low quality and one is high quality when the evidence doesn't really support that. But it's what's fashionable. You know, if, if you were on Twitter to advocating massage, you would be hounded for it. Um, and, and I don't you know, I don't think people have that same criticism of the things that are more in vogue. Um, but I also think nothing happens in isolation. If you're doing, if someone is doing a massage, you don't do it in silence. You're chatting, you're learning about the patient, you're sharing ideas, you may be sowing the seeds about how movement's positive for them. So I, I think there's a there's a, big, a bigger picture that we need to see about some of these treatments. You know, most definitely, and that's a great example with massage. Um, I tend to uh, there's a lot of speakers and presenters who i'm big fans of but they will vehemently say i never have massage it's the kind of devil's work and it's like well, yeah you don't like massage but for people who do like massage like you say it's a gateway to talking it's a gateway to educating it's the it's it's physical contact it's the whole diane jacobs grooming thing it's there's or i i still do it and i teach it i'm very careful to let students know that yeah, you're not breaking down adhesions or knots and you're not trying to make everyone symmetrical, but there's still a lot of benefit you can get um, in terms of helping people recover and, and in terms of reducing pain, even though it's momentary and allowing them to progress in their rehab ladder and stuff. So yeah, it's very good. But that was why I wanted you on the show today and chose to talk about what we're going to do, because we are going to take a little trip down memory lane and see some of the things which maybe were very, very fashionable and, and you and I both did probably on about 18 oh, yeah. years ago, but definitely like 10, five years ago. And now we've learned a bit, but without slagging it off, without making people out there feel very little because we did it. That's the idea. Yeah. Um, and I think any therapist would agree that they've evolved. And if you haven't evolved and you're still doing what you did 10 years ago, then you probably haven't been reading anything. So, um, so it's going to be a positive thing, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. A positive learning process, which is why I love following you because you're very positive and you, and you like you say, you, you give that message out on social media. Um, it's not about criticizing each other. It's about talking and debating. And, yeah. And yeah. Because people, I mean, I've had a few um, clinicians talk to me to say that, you know, they feel like they're in a bit of a dark place sometimes because they don't feel there's anything they can offer because people are using evidence as a brick to throw at people rather than as the building block for something. Um, and that's not a great position for a clinician to be in, a bit disillusioned, not really feeling they're able to help. And I think that's a real shame. You know, if we, we need to exercise a judgment with, with every patient, don't we, about when something's appropriate and, you know, when it's not. And I think that's something we need to try and encourage more is like, you know, judicial use of treatments as opposed to blanket ban. And, you know, if you use this, you're a quack. Like, I think it's about judgment and about, you know, knowing people, isn't it? A bit more than black and white stuff, you know? Is this something which you bring up on your workshops and you spend a bit of time kind of warning yeah, or telling other clinicians? A little bit. I mean, there's a there's a, a slide like really early on, um, which is all about sort of, you know, there's lots of shades of grey. And I, I, I like to say that right at the start because 
it's true it's not i really don't think it's black and white when you're working with people uh, i think a lot of it's about reasoning and judgment and working with an individual and yes working within the evidence of course that that is important but you've also got to work with the person in front of you and choose what you think is appropriate for them um, I did a nice example of that recently in clinic. So a patient presenting with um, back and bilateral leg pain who was like just just ringing, you know, ringing all the bells for me, like flags that I just wasn't sitting right. You know, this is a really fit and active marathon runner. Um, you know, he's only seen me once for, for a knee problem and then is off doing absolutely brilliantly and didn't feel she never, never needed to see me again. But he's complaining of this really severe debil- debilitating pain where she can she can barely you know, walk with it at times, night pain, um, you know, all sorts of problems with it. And I'm thinking this just doesn't sit right. Um, So you take that patient in that situation, you say, right, okay, let's give you a massage. Like, no, you're kind of, you're missing the big picture here. And I, I, you know, there were lots of things going on. And instead of doing something like that, I said, right, let's get you in front of the GP quickly. Let's get some routine blood tests because you had quite a few inflammatory signs. And actually it turned out she had a severely underactive thyroid um, and that that can sometimes cause like quite severe muscle cramps. And we think that may be what was going on. So, you know, that situation is a good example of where, no, don't don't be jumping on that patient with massage. Like use it judiciously. Think about what that patient needs. And that patient doesn't need that. And it's always got to be a judgment that takes place. And only with time, you see if you've made the right judgment, I think. That's good. And and yeah, and you had a few red flags there, like you said, that the nighttime pain and because I'm teaching early, early morning stiffness for, yeah. for an hour. You know, it's it, there's a lot. There were lots of things going on there that you know you've got to be able to react to those and and not just say right, yeah, everybody you know comes in with back pain. You're going to get on the couch and you get some of this, that, and the other. That's, you know, that's not that's not the way to go with it. You've got to judge each case. I think. Yeah. And this is the thing. Mass- I love massage therapists. I love teaching them. But one of the most important things for massage therapists is to know the red flags and to know when to refer on and have that network. And again, not be afraid to say, you know what, I'm not quite happy with this. I'm not quite happy that you're getting these nighttime pains. I'm not quite happy with this fact the swelling hasn't gone down and it's getting worse. And because like you say, otherwise it could be something much more serious. Yeah, absolutely. OK, right. The time has come. So um, before we go into your top five things that have changed when did when you started 18 years ago were you already a keen runner yourself were you already thinking i'm going to work with runners or how did that evolve um i was a reluctant runner um mm-hmm. I, I used to run to try and stay fit but i was like i had two paces like stop or go there was no real into it. so i basically i just used to go out for about 20 minutes half an hour and just get it done as quickly as i could so it was always hellish because when you're running like that every time you just feel you know you just feel like you're battling it and then I got much more hooked in it, um, well, I guess probably about 10, 12 years ago, something like that. I started to get into running more slowly and actually enjoying running for the for the sake of it. But, yeah, I mean, I've run a long time. I used to compete for my school and things like that. But, um, yeah, last 10 to 12 years, I've really kind of got the love for it. And um, now it's one of those things I couldn't, I couldn't be without. And, you know, I think it's the same for a lot of runners. Uh, if you can't run, there's a big piece of something missing in your life, you know definitely and running physio came along what year 2012 yeah so okay. that happened um almost by accident i was writing um on runners world forums trying to advise people with running injury mm-hmm. and i realized that online you can only really give generic advice so 
I, I thought, well, I'll, I'll put together a little website so I can just link to articles. It'd be easier. Um, so then I started writing the articles and I realized, okay, right, I need one for ITB pain and patellofemoral pain and Achilles tendinopathy. So I researched each of them, wrote an article on each of them, and it just kind of grew by accident, really, from there. I remember seeing some of those in the early days on Runner's World. This was just you entering the forums and just giving some advice just to people yeah. who were amazing. How yeah. altruistic of you. <laughs> well, it was, quite, it was quite nice. It's, um, you know, there's quite nice people on there. And, I, you know, you, when you're a runner, and I'm sure it's the same for you, you just want to keep other people running if you can. And, you know, so, yeah, it kind of sprung from there, really. Fantastic, yeah. And the site shows, I mean, they they were the beginnings, which I'd imagine your site came from because it is um, full of fantastic advice. And it's all free and it's like, no, amazing. So uh, thank you. Thank you for that site. I've dipped in there many a time. Um, okay, so let's go. Um, what are you going to bring up first of all? Something which maybe has changed. Yeah. So the first, the first one um, I, th- I think about this is um, is that's changed like stretching. So certainly when I was a runner at school and um, when we first qualified, um, you know, back in two thousand and two, every runner was told to stretch, stretch, stretch you know stretch before your sport after your sport and the, the wisdom was that it would prevent injury um and if you didn't stretch then you'd get injured um so you know everybody had to stretch um and then i think i think that is something that really has changed in fact to a point now where there's a debate over whether it has a role at all um so it's kind of a you know classic one that's gone full circle to everybody needs to do it and maybe nobody does um, and again, with mo- most things, probably the truth lies in the middle there somewhere. Um, but we've had those big review papers that found that it doesn't seem to stretching before or after sport doesn't r- reduce injury risk. Um, and we've had those studies showing that it might reduce power and therefore have a negative effect on performance. And I think that is why we're we're moving probably more away from it uh, now. Uh, plus we know it can irritate certain tendon problems so actually when people come in and say oh, i've got you know got this sore hamstring tendon i've been given a load of stretches to do um we often actually stop them doing those and replace them with something more strength based um that doesn't irritate them so much that's a biggie and and i'm nodding my head and then conscious in my mind of not just letting that go because I'm always aware that we are in our little bubble and we surround ourselves with people who kind of know this, who are aware of kind of where we're stretching can actually annoy certain tendinopathies like hamstring and insertion Achilles. But a lot of therapists, I'm sure, I mean, the same definitely happened to me when I was full time in the clinic. But do you still see, sadly, a lot of runners who are basically just being given stretches, for example, for Achilles issues and proximal hamstring and don't how do you deal with that does it kind of depress you thinking why are they being told this still in this day and age and it doesn't matter where they come from i find it's physios chiros osteo sports therapists um or do you think great um i've still got something i can give these people does it annoy you at all or frustrate yeah, you i think i think it's kind of a mixture of the two it, it, it does make me think a little bit that it's a, a bit of a shame perhaps that that practice isn't changing but it also makes me think ah oh, there's something easy we can do here mm-hmm. that might help this person's pain that they're probably going to be quite happy to do, which is stop doing a whole load of stretches that they're telling me have made it worse. So in in some ways, like it, it is better if a patient's giving you options, like easy ones like that, that you can change straight away, easy wins. Um, 
if you like. Um, I think probably the biggest culprit I see is gluteal tendinopathy. I think that's the one where actually people are given, and they're given the, the stretches that are often really provocative, like pigeon pose stretches and piriformis stretches and ITB stretches. Um, so I think that's, it, it, of all of them, the one that possibly is worst. Um, insertion of Achilles tendinopathy is, is a problem as well. I mean, I saw a guy a little while back who was told by his uh, therapist to ice his foot till it was numb and then stretch it off the edge of a step, mm-hmm. you know. And so the advice is, yeah, just don't do that. You know, don't do that and it will feel better for it. And actually it did, you know, just taking away the provocative stretches helped. Um, so, but again, it's, you know, there's always got to be matching up real world and research. There are some patients who, oddly enough, might buck the trend and might say, do you know what, actually I find they do help a little bit. So I'm never rigid about these things. It's always about like, okay, well, how, you know, how do you find you respond to the stretch? Does it stir it up? Does it aggravate it? Does it seem to help? You know, um, I, most of the time, nine times out of 10, we'll try and replace it with something strength-based. But if they're sure it helps their symptoms, then, you know, I might say, okay, yeah, keep it in there. You know, if it's helping you, I don't see that as so much of a problem really. That's good. That's healthy. Okay. So I'm going to make sure we've got some decent show notes for this this time because there's going to be a lot of important things for therapists to take away with them. Hopefully therapists will listen to this who aren't already massive fans of Tom and myself and and it's actually something new. So if you that's the important thing. If you are already on the same page as myself and Tom and listen to this podcast or watch the video, do share it on your social media. Share it so that people who haven't turned over this page yet actually become aware of it. You can turn around patients' recovery time by taking out um, stretching um, in in at least three or four um, tendinopathy issues um, by giving them that simple advice. So it's an important one. Um, I suppose it, link, it links into to kind of other ideas as well. Like there's something that I don't think we necessarily think about that often is we're very capable of actually making people worse. And I don't think we necessarily always entertain that as an option that I might make this person worse. Um, and that kind of comes back to that like little discussion that we had on massage too. So I see a lot of people with gluteal tendinopathy who are given stretches and then someone gets into their glutes tendon with an elbow to do some massage and actually really makes it a lot worse. So I think, again, it's about that like judicial use of it, like and actually recognizing when sometimes it might make things worse. Um, I think that's quite an important thing for us to recognize. Um, and remembering the alternatives to stretching. And if you if you are, you can strengthen to lengthen is the phrase. I don't think that, I think might be one of Adam Meekins, sounds like one of his, but like if you if you load it, the tissue in a lengthened position or load it more eccentrically, you can gain flexibility without having to do lots of static stretches. So there's other ways of getting a better result, I think. I do believe that questioning if you are a stretcher and you give out lots of stretching, once you kind of open that tin up and start thinking, should I be giving the stretching? Oh, this can actually make it worse. It's a good intro to questioning other practices, which you've grown up with. Cause I definitely, used to, I used to hand out stretches much more than I do now. Um, and, and I imagine fresh out of physio, you were kind of a, yeah, take this photocopy from the photocopy. There's your stretches. We all used to do it. I think it's a good intro, isn't it? To change people and start realizing that, yeah, like you say, it's not, throwing the baby out with bath Ooh. water but it's realizing some of the things we were taught might not yeah. be quite right 
Yeah, and then it's on my, on my website. It might still be there buried as a sofa stretch, a video I put together about how to use your sofa cushions to give your hip flexors a good stretch, which is basically kneeling on a, on a, on a sofa cushion and, and going into a lunge position. So, yeah, I mean, I've advocated stretches, absolutely, and um, I'm not completely anti them now, but I just want to, if I'm going to give them out, they've got to be for a reason. It's mm. not a generic thing every, every runner feels that they should do. It's like, okay, well, in your case, this stretch seems to help your flexibility and your symptoms. And those are the reasons why I'm going to suggest you do it. And I think that's fine if it's a, as a reasoning process and there's a positive result, just not like you're a runner, therefore you must do these 10 stretches. You know, that's, you know, that's not the same really. You're good. You're much calmer than me. I, I'm far more sarcastic and cynical. I get <laughs> runners coming in going, because how many, I mean, you must get it as well. You get runners coming in, clutching the hamstrings and going, I know what the problem is. I've got tight hamstrings. And, and I'll actually, I've been known to like, just make them pick up a pen or a weight off the floor and they'll fall down into it and pick it up. And I go, right. So yeah, you were saying you got tight hamstrings. Yeah. Yeah. They're really tight. And I'll drop something again. Just pick that up will you until the coin drops that they realize oh, actually, it, I haven't got tight hamstrings. Have I? Cause then it opens up this, this kind of conversation about just because it hurts doesn't mean it's tight. And that's a big one, isn't it? With runners that's still prevalent today. We always think that if something hurts, it's because it's tight. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, yes. absolutely. And and runners quite often something is tight because it's overworked. Um, it's and there might be weakness at the centre of that, or it might be fatigue at the centre of that, or a bit of both. But quite often a, a tight hamstring is is one that's struggling with the workload it's exposed to. So just stretching it, well, it's not really doing anything long term for that. What you need to look at is that the workload that hamstring's having to do, and its capability of handling it. Um, and the recovery process that person's using, you know, so you might adjust their training load to reduce the stress on the hamstring, increase their recovery to reduce the fatigue, strengthen the hamstring to improve its capacity to cope with it. Um, and it, of course, it's all intertwined because as you get to know that person, and it's, it's kind of a nebulous thing, really, but maybe you start to recognize why they're not recovering very well. They've got like a really long working day. The only way they can squeeze in training is to do it early in the morning. So they sacrifice sleep. You know, like that's the kind of bit that you never sort of, you never sort of see in a research paper necessarily, but you've got to get to know that person and problem solve that, which is not easy, you know? So there's always, it's a bigger, always a bigger picture, uh, I think at play. And, you know, that's why we've got to be a little bit careful about sort of seeing everything is black and white really. Very good. Excellent stuff. Um, we could talk I mean, one more thing that again, bugs me about stretching is you only like runners don't need to be that flexible. Why do runners stick themselves into swan poses anyway? Why are they <laughs> yeah. trying to touch their toes? I mean, the research has actually shown, I like kind of quoting this. I'm not sure if it's being debunked yet or weakened, mm. but there's papers which do show, I think it's amongst elites, which is kind of, but actually having less, hamstring flexibility scoring less in a sit and reach test has been correlated with higher performance and faster speeds and stuff if we look at the whole muscle as a spring there's a, there is an argument that actually you're going to be less flexible if that muscle is more responsive to load and stuff and but this isn't doesn't seem to get through to runners they're still trying to touch their toes for what reason mm. well, when would you ever touch your toes during a marathon yeah yeah only if things have gone horribly wrong <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah now i think you like, i like i like the spring analogy because it works quite well with stretching and this is obviously a massive oversimplification but you know if you think about as your your muscle you know as a bit of a spring you want it to be stiff enough to bounce you along you don't want it to be like a 1980s slinky that you drop exactly. it on the floor and it just goes splat 
Um, exactly. So if you if you take that spring and you do a, a long static stretch, you kind of lengthen the spring, don't you? And the downside of that is for a short period of time, it's not as able to produce enough stiffness and enough force. So, but after a while, like about 30 minutes, the, the spring goes back to its normal length because we know stretches don't seem to create long-term length changes. But if you do your loading in a lengthened position, your eccentric loading perhaps, instead of just stretching the spring out, you're adding coils to the bottom of it to make it physically longer. You're actually making the muscle longer. Um, so to my mind, it makes much more sense then. You've got a, a strong, long spring, which is kind of win-win as opposed to a, a spring that gets a bit floppy for a bit and then goes back to where it was. Very good. No, great analogy to use with patience. Um, really good. And, and even good to have a little, like a, at our gate, I still do gates with, um, at Stride UK, but we've actually got a tight called spring and then a slinky. Brilliant. It's kind of a nice visual just to show someone. So, and it is a simplification, but it, it helps some people go, Oh yeah, it's true. So you're saying it doesn't matter if I can't touch my toes yeah exactly yeah i come from martial arts and I, the reason i'm on it is because i i used to kick people in the head happily and then as i moved out of that and into running i noticed i was losing my flexibility because i wasn't kicking high anymore but also because my hamstrings were getting much stronger and it was like a case of you almost couldn't you have to choose what you want to do do you want to have these like be able to get your leg up high or do you want to have this responsive kind of spring thing going on so yeah it's hard to it's, have both. it's a big thing isn't it okay we could talk for longer, but we won't. Yeah, I'm excited absolutely. to see what your number two is. Take it away. Number two. Okay. Num number two is one that you've got to have the little speech marks in. Um, okay. So core stability. Okay. You're not allowed to say that. it without the thingies. Um, <laughs> but, but yeah, <coughs> core stability. Massive, massive change in the last, you know, 18, 20 years. I, I, I remember the, you know, the early days of being a student and, um, and actually coming into practice and, honestly like i never really understood how we meant to teach people to do their try the trans abs work you know there are all these different sort of descriptions you know uh, take your belly button in an inch but then you weren't allowed to do it and breathe the wrong way apparently there's a wrong way to breathe um you'd overuse your diaphragm or something like and, they were all, and i was how do you know how can you how can you tell how do you overuse a diaphragm on your breathing with it and the whole time i was confused about it um, and we were teaching patients that it was vitally important for everything, you know, um, you know, back pain, obviously, neck pain, potentially shoulder pain, bit of a sore jaw. Yeah, it'll be your core. You know, it was kind of trotted out to everything. Um, and it, if it confused me as a therapist, I'm pretty sure it confused a lot of patients who were stood there told before they could do any exercise, they had to activate their core. Um, and then that that has kind of fallen apart fairly rapidly, you know. Um, we've realized now that actually you don't need you know your core will activate you don't need to tell it to uh, i think that's true of a lot of muscles it's another kind of side myth really this idea that you know muscles muscles activate you don't have to tell them to you don't have to sort of uh, you know you, you do the task the muscle will kick in you know on its own in most cases um but now we're moving hopefully away from these kind of older fashioned views of core and hopefully it's starting to be redefined a little bit uh, and that's the difficult thing at the minute. It's another one where I don't, I don't think we want to throw it out altogether, but I think maybe we just need to recognize the parts of it that are valuable um, and maybe not use the parts that aren't, if you see what I mean. Yeah, it was, um, it's a nice example, isn't it, of a paper that's come out or a series of papers. And then even the author, after a few years, has gone, you know what, actually, who was well ahead of their time, 
Let's turn around and go on. Actually, no, you know, this test we did with the transverse of Dominus and all that, and we found out that it fired. It's not actually such a big deal. But by then it was too late, wasn't it? Because you got the DVDs, the schools, the, the workshops. The It's a problem of the digital age, I think. Where and I, The same thing happened with Gil Headley in the fuzz and fashion and everything, where he came out, again, a fantastic mind ahead of the game who produces this fantastic new video showing cadavers and this fuzz and how... And then he himself later on said, actually, I've thought about it. And yeah, you have to be dead for that to happen. And obviously we're alive. <laughs> but it's no yeah. Yeah, yeah, but it's no discredit to them. They're, and you could name a huge amount. All the, these people who come out with these ideas are well ahead of the game. Mm. And then later, normally, they're the first ones to go, actually, actually, it's not quite right. We have to change a bit. But it's too late, isn't it, by then? And it's, but it's brilliant when they do do that. I think that's the thing. It's so valuable when they're, they're the one that started it and have come out and said, look, we, we got this wrong. And yeah. it's something I like, I, I want to hold my hands up to it as well. I think I, I, I'm quite, you know, I, I'm quite interested by new findings, new research, and it's quite easy to jump on those bandwagons because if they fit your biases and run with it before actually maybe there's, there's enough evidence to do so. Um, so I think we've all we've all got to be a little bit careful of those things. We, we happen with isometrics in tendinopathy. One really interesting paper with a massive reduction in pain, but only six patients. And then within a couple of years, it's it's everywhere. Isometrics are the you know everyone should use it for tendon pain. Um, and then the follow up studies find it it's much much less effective than we thought. Um, so I think it's maybe just being a bit patient and waiting for the evidence base to evolve a little bit. Really, so. Mm. Um, but coming back to the core things, one of the things, the papers that I quite like on it, it's from about 2013, I think it's Marty Skello at all, where they looked at different exercises and how they recruited like the core musculature. Um, and they compared things like, you know, tummy tuck exercises, sitting on a gym ball, et cetera, with, um, you know, traditional strength and conditioning, like squats, lunges and stuff like that. And actually, you seem to recruit those core muscles more, squatting, deadlifting, lunging, than you do sitting on a gym ball. So if you want to work the core, then you could well do that by doing some good S&C. Um, yeah. I, think, I think then we've got to try and work out those people that might benefit from, from interventions around the core and what those are. Um, so one area possibly is like hamstring uh, muscle injuries. There's a tiny bit of evidence, like one study that found that, you know, including some kind of trunk-based exercises – seem to reduce the risk of recurrence of hamstring injury, if I remember the, the research right. So then it's a question, well, what is it? Like, what, what do we need to be doing here? You know, is it tummy tuck stuff? Probably not. You know, is it around strengthening some of the muscles around the core, perhaps? Maybe, you know. Um, so I think hopefully it's an idea that will evolve until we realize which parts of it are actually useful. Yeah. Yeah, that's a big one. Were you, I mean, I know, hand on heart i used to do squats on fit balls press ups on fit balls i mean it was the fit ball era wasn't it especially around 2004 5 everything was fit balls wasn't it i was doing nasm which was all about it was great at the time again ahead it was kind of the era of paul check and nasm and all this stuff and you do your fit ball work first of all to to activate the core and then you'd follow that up superset it with your bench because now you've activated your core and stuff and it was amazing it was great programming and we really enjoyed it but then it all kind of changed when we realized you'll never reach your full potential doing a bench press on a football it's just <laughs> happened yeah <laughs> and the that's for squatting on that. a football. yeah 
you don't really see that anymore, do you? In the Virgin, have you still got people yeah, sometimes, doing Sometimes, sometimes. It's a kind of, it, it, it's again, it's like, well, what's your goal with that exercise? Because if your mm. goal is to build strength, then you, you want to load heavy, which you're not going to be able to do balance precariously on a on a football it's you know so if you want to get strong go and you know go and get off that and go and lift some heavier weights if you want to improve your your balance on unstable surfaces then balance on unstable surfaces that's fine but you you're not helping yourself lug in a great big load at the same time really so um and yeah boso boards and all that fit into it as well was the do yeah. we overuse boso boards and stability cushions and all that was it all a bit yeah i much? think so i think so you know we like our toys don't we we like our oh, toys yeah. it's quite good fun i still think again it's like you know recognizing some kind of of role for some of these things if you've got to deal with unstable wobbly surfaces um during your sport you know um if you're a surfer and you're trying to balance on a surfboard then I think it's quite reasonable to try and do some some balance work that that is similar to that. You know, if you're a trail runner and you've you've got to expose your ankles to rapid changes of direction, um, then you you might want rehab that includes unstable surfaces and rapid changes of direction. It's fine, but the, the when you're doing that in the real world running, you're generally not doing it with a you know fifty kilogram bar on your shoulders. <laughs> so you 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 look at control as a goal and you focus on control and you lift heavier when you're focusing on strength i guess that's how, how i would tend to see it it's very good have you just before we move on from core stability obviously it was very difficult the explosion in pilates kind of went hand in hand with this um concentrating and focusing and drawing like you say an explosion in pilates it seems a bit <laughs> too gentle for that I no 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 not with the original an explosion in pilates yeah no, not with the original old oh, Joe with his 101. <laughs> it was very yeah, explosive. Yeah. Um, yeah, but yeah, right. but Joseph was, Pilates was originally, I'm sure you know, Pilates was originally made for like boxers and hardcore mm. athletes. And it was a real big thing. And then later on, when this whole core stability thing started, it suddenly got very slow and, and more kind of intrinsic. And you're pulling a piece of string under your belly button. And, and I was in it as well. It was part of our, we do our floor exercises as part of personal training and stuff. But um. I think Pilates teachers in particular have had to make quite a big turnaround because again, it's not throwing it all out. There could be some fantastic, I love taking people down to the ground if they need that mm. taking gravity out of the equation. But yeah. it's again, like you say, it's not. And I should, I should say, I'm, I'm joking really. I mean, I know there's there, you know, there's some really fantastic Pilates classes out there that, that really do challenge people and take people mm. to really difficult levels. So I certainly wouldn't want people to think I'm dismissing that really. But, but yeah, I, th I think that's the thing is if you build your whole ethos around something and that something starts to fall away it's difficult and you have to kind of you know um think about doing it differently again um but but maybe it's then just about saying okay well there's good news here you don't need to tuck your tummy button in before you do this move um so let's not focus on that let's focus on other things that we could do to achieve your goals like you know increasing the range that you're going to do it over or increasing the load or improving your confidence with it or you know so it can be a positive thing sometimes to be able to drop something you know um that isn't working and go right we don't have to do that anymore that's good we can do something else and but you've just nailed it on the head if you are the the the, the wall is being able to actually physically say to someone you know what i'm going to tweak this a little bit some new stuff's come out i've been reading and not thinking that they're going to lose confidence in you once you can do that 
I think it opens up a lot of doors and makes you a far more effective therapist, not being embarrassed about changing things. And, mm. and clients will appreciate it, won't they? They they didn't come in saying, I want to be able to stand on a football and do a squat. They never asked for that. It was us who give it to them. <laughs> no. They just want to stop that <laughs> no. um, Okay, cool. But there's also that downside of, uh, you know, the stories that we tell and, and the negatives we don't necessarily see. I think one I've, I've had a few people recently that like, they're they're very hooked on activation like you know you'll be doing an exercise with them and they'll be, but i can't feel my glutes activating i can't feel my glutes on that side it's not activating and it, you have to reassure them that you know we've only done a couple of reps let's build it up let's let's worry about feeling a burn i want you to feel like the glutes are tired by the end of it that's what we need to worry about here not trying to feel this i mean who can feel like their glutes activating do you know what i mean like let's not be worried about whether this muscle is switching on and off like let's let's load it a little bit and see when you can start to feel it getting a bit tired feel the burn a bit then that's telling us we're giving it a good workout so and it, it can be quite hard to, to pull people away from that if they've been told it for a long time they've been told it by lots of people that their glutes aren't activating and then they see someone new that doesn't agree with that it can be difficult to change that that mindset unfortunately so there are downsides i think of the stories we tell i think definitely and i don't know if you've got it coming up but like language could be one of these points changing the language we used to use um back in the day and now actually thinking about the words we use like you're saying because it can have a negative effect but i don't want to bring that up in case you brought it up anyway we're gonna crack on number two is core stability in inverted commas core stability what's next yeah. <clears throat> oh next one with runners um that's kind of hopefully starting to change now but is switching to forefoot um the um for for quite a long time um everyone was told that forefoot is best everyone should run forefoot and uh you know using all the kind of classic terms it's more natural um you know to run forefoot it's going to be better for everyone um i like a phrase i heard on twitter recently like is it's entirely natural to be mauled by a bear but that doesn't make it good for you it's you good. know so natural isn't always always best whatever yeah, yeah. that you know whatever we define natural is um but that's something where where you know for me and uh, i'm sure for you as well matt like it's been a big source of frustration because i've seen so many runners that come in with calf pain achilles pain plantar fascial problems foot problems because they've been told they must switch and they've switched and now something really hurts um and it, it's a part of the tribalism we get with everything but particularly in running like people think there's one right way and if you believe that you're going to end up butting heads against someone who doesn't believe that you know what i mean mm -hmm. rather than recognizing the gray areas again and the pro you know the, the the case for each individual really so hopefully that is starting to change we've had um, a systematic review just published um anderson at all i think it was you know showing that there, there aren't really great performance benefits from switching to forfeit in fact if anything it seems to make our running economy worse in the short term um it doesn't seem to reduce injury rates it just maybe changes where you get injured so a forefoot runner perhaps more likely to have problems with the the calf achilles foot and ankle rear foot maybe more problems around the, the hip and knee so if it isn't going to reduce your injury risk and it's not going to make you run faster um, but it might give you a really tight calf or a really sore Achilles. To me, it's it's not the the risk isn't really worth the the little benefit. Um, so hopefully we can you know reassure people that if they want to run on their heels, they can. It's fine. It's normal. It doesn't have doesn't have to change. You know, it's a good one. Yeah, it's definitely a. And I think it is getting. There was a spate of time, wasn't there? I mean, as people 
bought for like born to run stuff and read it and it's getting less but i'm still get i still see runners who one of the biggest questions i'm sure you ask as well in like when you're doing a getting ass or something is is there anything you consciously try and do when you're running if you read anything or are you trying to do anything and and then it comes out doesn't it oh yeah actually i'm trying to pick my heels up if they come up with a hamstring strain it's like yeah, i'm trying to pick my heels up higher to my bum i'm trying to run in my toes and it just shows the subjective part of a case history is really important isn't it because there's so much information out there you can read and it can cause injuries not always but it can mm. cause them and then not runners don't necessarily always put two and two together you know so they might they might not think that switching to forefoot's that important so mm. that you know that's where we've got to sometimes probe and ask about those things Definitely. um uh, and again it's, it's sometimes challenging with with beliefs you know a gentleman a little while back who'd been advised by his coach to switch to forefoot again because it's it's you know it's best everyone should run forefoot was the advice of this particular coach um and yet he switched to forefoot and now he can only run 3K before his calves tighten up so much that he has to stop. Um, and when we actually looked at his running style, it was much, much less efficient forefoot. And this is sometimes what happens. We assume that when you switch to forefoot, you get the running gait of a habitual forefoot striker. But the research actually suggests that's not necessarily true. Your running pattern won't necessarily look like someone who's run forefoot their whole life. And it can create this bouncy running pattern where where people they they kind of bounce up and down. They expend all this energy going up and down. Um, they end up with very little stride length and it makes them less efficient because they're no longer really moving forward. Um, so you end up with an injured runner who's actually slower than they were. So um but you know with that gentleman and lots of other people in the past when you try and get them to change back to the normal foot strike they can be reluctant because they've really bought into it um so it's a, a little bit of like gaining their trust and explaining your reasoning and you know seeing if you can get them on board with at least coming back a little bit away from this new uh, painful style definitely it's one to take on board i think it's sometimes it's the disadvantage of being an experienced runner and looking after runners because there's that dangerous and they're always forcing on your patience what maybe works for you maybe you are four foot running you've seen yourselves but you know you've got to hold back and just deal with the person in front of you it's a good one really? i've been there i did it i was in mexico on holiday running along the beach in the sand barefoot listening to the tamaran indians in the winds <laughs> chanting my name double achilles tendinopathy back at work limping around for two oh, weeks no. <laughs> It happens. We've all been there and done it. It's exciting. We love change. We love thinking this is the one. This is how it's all going to happen. That's it. It's very That's rare, it. isn't it? There's one thing you can do which is going to solve everything. Absolutely, it's consistency that works, isn't it? But you know, you you've, you've, you've I know we've uh, you know we've run, run and done events together. You see my skinny little legs and my tiny weeny calf I muscles. Going to mention them? There no, there's no way on earth they tolerate forefoot running. Like if I switched to forefoot, my calf would be screaming at me. So you know, so it's, it's again, it's about like how does it work with the you know different people? What's relevant for them really? I've noticed a change in your videos you put out these days. You are normally wearing trousers now, tracksuits of some form. It used to be your shorts, didn't it? But I know. I know. It's, 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 it's my wife's fault. She says I've got legs like hairy golf clubs. Oh, and uh, so I'm a bit sensitive. I kind of keep them hidden now. Yeah. Probably for the best. I say don't listen to your wife because that would be foolish. But, yeah. <laughs> All right, mate. Number four. So number four kind of links a little bit to, to number three. And it's, it's how our views on running shoes have changed. 
Uh, and this has been a big change as well. So back in the in the 2000s and things, and still quite a lot, um, this is still um, something that we see a lot, that running shoes were divided up into your, you know, your neutral shoe, your motion control shoes, stability shoe, et cetera. Um, and they, your, your shoes were selected based on things like the uh, wet foot tests. So, you know, you can tre tread in some water and see what shape your footprint leaves, or someone has a look at your foot and decides you're a bit pronated, therefore you need some kind of, motion control shoe um and a lot of that was was sold i guess marketed by the shoe companies to to, to create a problem as in you pronate and that's the problem and a solution as in this shoe prevents that um which is kind of the mar a marketing strategy that lots of stuff has done um quite successfully i think um for example mouthwash i think the term halitosis as in bad breath was invented by the people that make mouthwash to sell mouthwash I that, really um so I think, you know, so it's a, it's a, one of those things, again, where it starts to demonize certain things and then start that has negative knock-on effects. Patients sort of say, oh, I'm very flat-footed or, you know, so there are downsides to these things. Um, but this is something that is starting to evolve and change. Um, some really important research from um, Erasmus Nielsen and their group in about 2013, I'm sure you know, the big study of nearly a thousand runners finding that a more pronated foot type wasn't associated with increased injury risk um, and more studies, you know, challenging whether we can make, you know, make people's shoe prescription based on just looking at their, their foot really. Um, so that's another thing that hopefully it's evolving, but it's still a bit of an unanswered question um, in terms of how do we prescribe shoes? Cause we had a model that wasn't really based on much that has sort of been dropped now so it becomes a bit more challenging to know okay what is the what is the new way how do we do it now you know yeah it's, it's been has it been dropped to websites i had simon simon bartold on the show and i i blocked out who it was but we had two leading brands of shoes and one of them had moved with the science they're taking out any mention of overpronation and they were talking a bit more they had some great tests do some tests you know i mean it was it was good it was talking about how many miles you're going to do what sort of terrain you're going to be on blah 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 blah. but then we went to another site leading brand not at the top anymore but it was all just pronation you are an overpronator and it was just it's still in 2020 it's still on the website last time i checked really so it's and that's the that's the massive hits isn't it that's where people are still going to and believing and trusting and it's a tricky one it's an uphill struggle sometimes with the whole pronation isn't it um, it, it is and i think one of the things that stu stood out to me when i when i reviewed the, the literature uh because I, I did a, a bonus module for our for running repairs online on footwear selection and i did a, a big kind of literature review for that and one of the things that came out from that was that people's individual response to shoes is very variable and a bit difficult for us to predict um so that ma it makes it hard for us to make assumptions about how someone will respond to a certain shoe um so the the kind of conclusions i reached at that point were you know my advice around shoe selection first and foremost is would be don't make a big change because if you make a big change it, it may well change the way the tissues are loaded quite a lot and that may irritate something um, and the second point was was do be guided by comfort. And I, I know we have this, what they call the comfort filter now, and it's being questioned a little bit, but I do think it's sensible to, sh to choose a shoe that feels comfortable to run in. You know, I think that's got sensible advice, really. Um, and then a uh, third thing was to try and see if you can pick a shoe that's perhaps a little bit towards the lighter end of the spectrum if you can, because it's we know that, that lighter shoes can help our running economy a little bit. 
Um, and then the final point was thinking about like if you're injured, which one feels best in terms of your symptoms? Because we can make all theories about how a shoe might influence load, but it's actually the symptoms we're more interested in. So if I've got an injured runner who's thinking about getting a new pair of shoes, I might say, well, is there any chance you can get down the running shop and try a few on the treadmill and see which feels most comfortable for your symptomatic area? You know, And that might be the shoe that you want to lean a little bit more towards rather than you know, correcting some kind of mythical movement fault. Um, you know, thinking more about does it actually help your symptoms? You know, and is it comfortable to run in? That's very good. Yeah, I love those points. And are they still available on the website, or was it? You said it was part of a bonus for. Oh, yeah, yeah, part of the uh, running repairs uh, online, the kind of online version of the course. So yeah, it's still very much part of the uh, part of the online course. Um, Great advice. Very good. Um, Right, I'm conscious of the time. Give me number five. Number five, number five. Okay, so big change, big change, and this is a positive change, I think, is we are moving now um, towards lifting heavy weights um, for our runners. Uh, back in the day when I was at university, I remember it pretty clearly. The classic story was, you know, you've got a marathon runner. How are you going to get them to do their exercises? And it would be low load and lots and lots of reps for endurance. Um, and I think we realized that the tissues during running are exposed to quite high peak loads. Um, and actually that we, we think a lot of the endurance adaptations that we want people get from their sport, you know, things like increasing, um, mitochondrial numbers and capillary density and things like that. You get that from your running, your cycling, your swimming. So it maybe isn't so beneficial to try and do loads of reps with low load. Actually, probably what we want is heavier weight and lower reps so, so you can build strength um which then can help to improve your you know your running economy and potentially your performance as well um so i think that's been a, a positive change um and, and something some people are still kind of coming on board with a bit i think definitely yeah back in the day it was definitely this idea wasn't it that if you're going to be running 10 miles then you need to be doing loads of reps and keeping it light to kind of mimic that endurance wasn't it um when did it change? I don't remember. I remember I used to prescribe kind of light reps to runners, and then suddenly I was doing heavy, but I can't remember what brought it about. No, I'm not I'm not hundred percent sure if I would be able to pinpoint a particular like time point or particular study. Um, but I think it's something sort of evolved a little bit over time. And it's something that I think is needed to evolve with our rehab too, that we're yeah. hopefully people are realizing now that you you do need to work people and challenge people a little bit if you're going to build strength um and and that will sometimes need to involve lifting heavy but heavy is relative you know it, it it doesn't necessarily have to be in huge weights because if someone's very weak like body weight in the early stages may well be heavy for that person so it's all it's all relative um but sending someone away with an exercise to achieve strength when they can do 50 reps before hitting fatigue it, it's not it's not really going to be a strengthener for that person mm. um so i think that's a big thing that uh, you know i i've learned i i, I uh, remember the exercises i used to give out back in the day i i used to consider like a you know a single leg mini squat a high level knee exercise you mm. know an unloaded single leg mini squat not even a proper single leg squat like you know a little small knee bend i was like yeah that's one of the tough ones for the knee and now i'm like okay no that's kind of that's not really that's sort of pretty simple you've got to load people up if you want to get them stronger definitely i think the calf research as well i think um showing how much load the calf really takes particularly the soleus, mm. the soleus rehab where you really got to persuade people to 
a lot of the time just get the gym because you're never going to find enough weight at home even with your kids sitting on your knee to mimic the load it goes through uh, yeah yeah it's a healthy thing strength is but like you say it's taking a bit of a bash isn't it strength training mm. yeah i mean strength i don't know strength training it seems to be the one at the moment that that people are you know yeah very much behind um and, I, and i'm a big fan i think there's lots of benefits beyond just simply getting stronger i think there's lots of like psychological benefits to, to telling someone that you you know your body will do well if you lift you know you 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 can actually strengthen it up and and that's a positive thing so i think there's lots of positive to it but it is the one that's perhaps a little bit immune to criticism mm-hmm. um because it's very kind of fashionable and i think maybe we need to be a little bit prepared to recognize some of the big limitations the biggest is people actually doing the exercise um uh, you know there's a paper from uh, back in the 90s looking at compliance with the physio exercises suggests that 70 percent of people don't do their exercises as instructed and i think that's the biggest one of the biggest things is you can create this wonderful exercise program that you think is really evidence-based but if a patient doesn't do it it's, it's not going to do anything for them and that's probably the biggest stumbling block and some of the things that are barriers to that are things like pain like we know that when you look at some of the kind of studies on adherence, pain is quite a significant barrier. Um, so this is where, again, like our reluctance to do anything like hands-on that may address pain becomes possibly something that could could create a barrier for this person to do their, their exercises and where perhaps we could be a little bit more flexible around that. It might help people actually get doing the stuff they want to do really. So again it's sort of the more you think about it to my mind the more interwoven these things are um and then that's why we need a bit of flexibility in our approach you know to help each individual get where they want to be most definitely um i think what you said is so true it's all very well saying people need to lift heavy but getting a runner just to do some exercises at home is difficult enough but again to actually go to a gym where they do not feel at home at all doing some heavy kind of deadlifts and stuff it's a real problem isn't it um what, what I've tended to do recently, um, and this is based on a, a, a research paper actually in I think 2018, where they found that if people were, even if they worked for less than 15 minutes, three times a week, they could improve their strength and endurance. And so what I tend to try and do with, with, with runners is to create a, roughly a 15 minute exercise circuit that they do three times a week. And I do it as a circuit, so it's very time efficient. So we might do, um, we had one this evening, so we might say, okay, well, let's get you squatting in the first half, uh, first exercise to, to work your quads. Um, once you've finished that, let's get you to do some calf raises to hit the calf and it will give the quads a chance to recover. Then let's do some resistance work for the glutes as your third exercise. And by the time you finish those, your quads will be fresh and you can go back to loading up those quads uh, with your squats again and you go through that cycle typically two or three times trying to hit fatigue at around about eight to 12 reps in each of those exercises and i get people to time it because it's very hard to do like to plan an activity in your day if you don't know how long it takes so if someone's timed it and said you know i, I can do this circuit in about 15 minutes then they know that's all they really got to look for in their day and i think most of us can probably find that 15 minutes you know three times a week so for me, I quite like research like that because it kind of feeds into a into reality, real life solutions. You know, instead of people thinking, "Oh God, I've got to, I've got to get to the gym." Well, not necessarily. You know, you can get some kit and you can do it at home. There's lots of other ways to get where you want to be with the strength stuff. 
Fantastic. No problems. Any solutions? That's great. Uh, Jack March would probably hate this episode of One Chat Live because we're just sitting there <laughs> nodding, and probably he'd probably vote it as his least favourite. Still remember that Jack March? I'm still. Uh... Yeah. Yeah. But anyway, um, look. I remember, I remember least, that. <laughs> remember that? Yeah, least popular episode of uh, Fizzy Matters podcast because they kept agreeing. I know it's a nightmare. It's a nightmare. Bless him. That's the problem with me and you, mate. We get on too well. <laughs> there must be something we disagree on. Anyway, I'm sure we'll find it. Yeah. So we're running out of time. So I'm going to change what's on the screen for the last thing, which we really do need to talk about, and that is. Dun, dun, dun. There you go, Running Rehab, From Pain to Performance. What a great title. Happening on April 24th, yes. Yeah, the Friday before London Marathon. It is. Tell us about it, mate. Very, very exciting. You've got some great speakers. Um, Tell us, yeah. Yeah, and yeah, I mean, I, I'm I'm really looking forward to it um, because we've got we very like we've got some fantastic speakers and like to explain the title like running rehab pain, from pain to performance. The the idea I had was could could we present like a patient's rehab journey from initial assessment and pain through to performance and have different speakers covering aspects along that rehab journey to show how we can look after a runner through that process. So so I start the day talking about assessing that runner um, and how we can look at things like their training load and get that to the right level, what assessment tests and things I might do. Um, and then it goes on to to Claire Minshaw, who's going to talk about rehab and strength and conditioning. So how we can get the right exercise uh, in place and progress it. And then it goes on to, to Ian, uh, Ian Griffiths, so, who uh, is a brilliant podiatrist, who will talk about the role of podiatry and whether there might be um, a role for orthoses in this particular uh, you know, uh, presentation. And then we've got Chris Napier traveling over from Canada to talk about how gait retraining in, uh, might fit within that and to share some of his new research. And then the day ends with Alex Hutchinson presenting on uh, how we might optimize recovery and performance. So we're hoping to kind of tell a story through the day um, and we're going to we're going to share one case study, which everyone will talk about. So you'll hopefully be able to sort of see how this one particular case would evolve through from from pain to optimizing performance. So that that's the plan. Genius. Very yeah. exciting. What a great idea. I don't think it's been done before either. I don't think so. Yeah, I don't think so. And I, th I think just, you know, with the particular like speakers we've been able to, to get, they're all, they're all, you know, fantastic people. And, um, you know, I was just excited about how we're all going to approach it. And, and I think it's good as well. We don't necessarily approach it all the same. You know, the, the differences in how we do things. And that's good. Like that can be celebrated, actually, because I think if there's different ways to get to the same place, like that's good. That's options for patients. It doesn't need to be a source for argument. Like that can be a good thing. So. And who would you recommend this day is going to be for? Um, so it's it's aimed at uh, people that are looking after runners. Uh, so that would include, obviously, therapists, physiotherapists, sports therapists, osteopaths, chiropractors, um, running coaches, if they're interested. I think it would be an interesting day for them. Uh, like um, Run Chat Live, you had some uh, really uh, good runners there, well-informed runners that were interested in that. And I, I chatted to, to some of those on the on the event actually and i think they got a lot out of it so similar kind of thing if someone's really into running and wants to know a little bit more about it i think it would it, there would be stuff that for them to take home as well i think that's really good i mean i'm starting to measure oh, it depends but i do love conferences which put together 
clinicians and and patients as well or runners as well i think it's great that there's a common ground where they can talk to each other and and even have questions where one would go right you've been talking about this but it really doesn't make any sense or this isn't how I feel, this isn't what I want, or something else. It's, it's going to be great, very good day. And if people want to buy tickets or get more information, is it all at your website? Yeah, um, you can go to uh, runningphysio.com, so it's running-physio.com, and um, all the details are on there. Um, so you can go and have a look at uh, that. That's a, It's a one-day conference, that one, uh, in London. And, um, you know, we're, we're going to throw in some lunch as well, keep people fed. <laughs> so, really? You're including yeah. that? Yeah. Oh, you're starting a dangerous trend there, really. <laughs> I well, you know, we we thought about it. You know, it's it's a nice thing to do. We thought what would be good is if we can share, like, uh, you know, and it's going to be a light lunch. We're not kind of serving lobster thermidor or anything. <laughs> but you know, we thought it keeps people on site and people can chat and like network over a over a, a nice ciabatta or something like that over lunchtime. So we thought that would be a nice way of keeping people on site. So. A nice ciabatta. You still managed to put a certain level of class in there, rather than just <laughs> yeah. a sandwich. Yeah, a nice a bag latte. Of sandwiches. Yeah, ciabatta. Yeah, oh, that's very exciting. Well, it's it's nine ten. Thank you so much, Tom, for coming to join us. Um, Thank I know you for having me. It's been a genuine pleasure, mate. Really, been oh, it's, there's some fantastic information in here. I'm really looking forward to listening to back to it myself. Um, that's happening April the twenty fourth. Have you still got any other? of your normal running rehab courses happening before then or yeah it's a bit busy schedule um pretty much i tend to try and do one a month um so today we've just announced um new courses in london i think we've got london glasgow uh stevenage and leeds four new ones that we've announced um we've got courses coming up in um in bath and reading and worthing so it's going to be a, a busy schedule um uh but but nice it's always nice i like you know meeting people that are treating runners and chatting and learning from each other it's all good fun fantastic well i really appreciate it i know you're a very busy man and um yeah i hope i'm looking forward to seeing the feedback on this one there's some great stuff there because again i mean i always say it um but the common theme between all of my guests because one of the great things about podcasts or live stream is you choose your guests there's there's um there's always a modesty there there's always uh you know the kind of person you could meet on the street and have a chat with and on the same level and you like all my guests kind of personify that greatly so i do thank you for all of the work you've done with runningphysio.com and uh yeah i look forward to seeing you in april i'm very excited about that and what a great lineup of speakers um yeah anything Thanks very much, mate. Oh, yeah it's very, it's very kind of you i think we're, we're on the same page i think we you know you're you're, you're similar in that you know we, we we don't have to be kind of rigid in our views we can have a bit of humility i think and that's a good that's a good thing i reckon you're you're better than me i try on a scale of of zero to adam meekins i'm probably about a six you're down on the five or four which is nice and <laughs> sometimes it's people like you who pull me back a little bit uh, there's room for everyone on the scale i think there's room for everyone i think that's a good thing it's, you've got to go to have a few a few shouty ranty people as well it would be boring if we were all the same oh god know? yes it'd be terrible. yeah all right mate i'll let you get back to your um your family well i take it yeah all good yeah all good i'm uh i'm gonna dive into a big pizza now that's my plan exactly every day <laughs> there's now, a bit of cheese in it you see for the cheese addiction <laughs> just a little bit all right, dude. Right. Well, thanks so much for giving up your time. Um, sure. I will share links and things with you for people to listen to this. It's been great having you for the hour. Thank you, Tom. Yeah. Thanks Good again, Matt. Me. Thanks for having me. I will come back down into the lobby in a second. Thank you. I'm just going to get rid of you now. All right, mate. Thank you. Bye. 
what a lovely bloke um, anyone who knows tom already will have known he's a great bloke but if you don't know him or you're not familiar with running um physio.com or running slash or hyphen physio.com then do have over head over to the website if you're running and you haven't been there then you must have been born under a rock or something because it's a fantastic awesome resource um and on top of that now which has been going for years you've now got the rehab uh, workshops and the big conference um on the 24th so um if you are interested in that then go to www.running-physio.com um and maybe i'll see well i will if you go i'll see you there as well um, along with the other speakers right so this has been run chat live 40 um it's been on youtube i'm not sure whether i'm going to stay on youtube i don't know i'll have a chat to Stephen healy about it um if you do have any comments leave them in the feed below uh, those of you who joined us live to watch then thank you very much um if you think you prefer on youtube or prefer on facebook let us know that as well because we're evolving like any good therapist uh, to give you what you need and help and what helps you so I will just sign off. This is Matt Phillips um, from Mindshot Live, putting the evidence back into running injury and performance. Thank you very much. You're listening to Run Chat Live podcast, putting the evidence back into running injury and performance.